Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Our guest today is Nan Park. She is an artist, teacher, mother, and interim director of the Master of Arts in Art Education program at the Maryland Institute College of Art. She is facilitating Cultivating Presence and Calm Through Contemplative Making, an Embrace session for Maryland's Creative Teaching Force on Tuesday, May 12th, from 2 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. Nan, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Peter. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So uh, as a visual artist, how would you define your work in medium and presentation in materials? Oh, wow. So um, as, as most artists would say, it evolves a lot. And right now my current work involves sort of a ritualistic practice, taking noticing of everyday surroundings, particularly in nature, And I collect colors and artifacts and images, um, sometimes photo images. And then I take all of that work back into my studio and usually create some color swatches and some marks and collage pieces that come together often as a multi-piece series. It's interesting that you started with the process first and came to talk about the product in the end, but in some ways, maybe that informs your mentality in creating where the act of art itself and creating it is equally important to the finished result, if there is one. Exactly. I think that it's a definitely a very process-oriented way of making, and the fundamental intention underlying the work is to be present to the moment. And uh, so it sort of lends itself to connecting to what's around me and using sort of all of that raw material to end up into some piece. And I don't always know, since it's so process oriented, what is going to emerge until it emerges. And there's something kind of exciting and beautiful about that. So what would some examples of pieces be that we could see? Would it be a collage, for instance, or a sculpture installation or a video piece? How would one of the the works that you have completed present itself? So the past, I would say, year or so, um, my family bought some property out in West Virginia in the mountains. And the landscape and the raw materials on the land itself has become the materials for my making process. So I've been working with the land, literally, um, whatever I find there, a lot of rocks, some small, some very heavy. And I've been creating a lot of in-place sculptural installations using cedar and rocks and things that fall out of trees. And there's something very contemplative and slow about engaging with the land. And so what I have right now out there on the property is a a whole network of pieces that meander one into the other. I'm getting sort of a vibe of a mix between, say, a practice of Zen garden maintenance and Andy Goldsworthy's natural sculptures. That's a really great way to describe it. There's definitely some very Andy Goldsworthy-ish facets about it. There's a collection component of walking to whatever materials I want to wander around, and I don't know what I'm going to find. So what I find 
serendipitously is what ultimately guides the process. So there's a spontaneity um, and sort of a necessary need to be present to the moment that drives the work. And it's very grounding, literally. Contemplation is in the title of your workshop. At this point, the idea of, of contemplation and contemplativeness has come up several times. Can you talk about the relationship in, in your practice and, and just in your artistic philosophy between contemplation and spontaneity? The mindfulness piece of being present and not disregarding, but letting go of all of the sort of noise that we carry around with us. I think it's inevitable just in the busy day-to-day life that we lead, Um, especially as educators when you're interacting with people so often. So there's a a spontaneity and a mindful, they go hand in hand together with contemplative making. Um, I sometimes think about the core need to be introspective first or to look inward a little bit to sort of explore who and where you are and where you're at and what you value and the ability to tap into that core essence of you yourself through contemplation I think drives as teachers the ability to be truly authentic teaching whether it's in science or art music coaching parenting all of those things involve teaching um, but it's really about relationship building and connectivity and helping others sort of see beyond what they might see had they not met you. We started the question talking about contemplation and spontaneity in artistic practice and have ended up in a place of talking about those in relation to teaching. So maybe there's a continuum of practice for you where teaching and art making are part of the same world of creative thought. If someone were to ask me what my work is, I often will not talk about my artistry first, but I often will talk about the art of teaching first, because I think teaching in itself is an art and there's so many nuances to it. It's interesting because I came to the art education arena through inspiration and desire to teach before the art part, if that makes sense. Really? I was studying art uh, as an undergrad and um, as a senior in college um, and also in high school, I had a few profoundly influential teachers who um, turned on the idea in my mind of what a powerful and beautiful role being a mentor teacher is. And so In some ways, I've been making art throughout my lifetime, but it was the encounter with these influential, inspiring teacher mentors who shaped the path for me for teaching. Would you mind sharing uh, one of those memories, maybe from high school, of of one of those uh, foundational uh, teacher inspiration moments? I had an art teacher. Her name was Mrs. Nicholson. Didn't really take art serious art classes until the jun- my junior year in high school, believe it or not. That's pretty late. Mm. And I was in her class. I had just left high school in Fargo, North Dakota, where I was born and raised, and moved to Atlanta, Georgia. So a major culture shock. And entering a high school as a new student in the middle of high school is very challenging. And I ended up in her classroom, and she saw something in the way that I thought or made or created art. And took a lot of extra time to encourage me and provide extra mentorship and resources and time, love, care, time, all those things. And she also um, encouraged me to apply to that state's governor's school, Mm. which I never would have done without encouragement. And I ended up going. And that opened up a lot of doors for exposure to new art forms, 
other art students, the possibility that art could actually be a profession. Wow. It's um, really important in the same way that artists thrive on the appreciation of their audiences, that teachers also get audience feedback. It's incredibly important. You've hit on an interesting point about teaching itself being a kind of art in the same way that art works to communicate ideas and hopefully is a social or interactive thing in which there is an an audience who perceives and grows through it. Teaching can be seen sort of through the same lens. Absolutely. They go hand in hand. And, you know, there, there is a personal studio practice or artistry practice that keeps me grounded and kind of sustains my curiosity about the world. And that sustains my ability to be the most authentic and sincere and gracious teacher that I can be when I encounter individuals. This idea that we teach to who we are, you know, it doesn't happen naturally necessarily that we hone it as an art. It's this evolving, uh, changing, continuous evolution, you know, a, a wonderful pathway we're taking through life. And it requires a lot of graciousness and humility and vulnerability to make the art because it can be very vulnerable to be honest in art. And the same is true of teaching. Maybe that uh, vulnerability is best uh, encapsulated in that mix between the contemplated and the spontaneous. You're not just an educator of artists, but you are an arts education educator, which I feel like is a a weird fractal that probably has its own particular challenges with it. So I'd love if you could talk about how, how you became involved in the arts in the first place, and then from that, how you became involved as an educator of educators. I started out uh, the first half of my teaching career as a K-12 art teacher for a little over a decade and teaching children of all different ages. My first teaching job ever was for high school. And then over time, it evolved into becoming faculty at MICA and teaching teachers the art of teaching. So while my students are going to be uh, moving on to be K-12 teachers or teaching artists or practitioners in some way, working with children in education or adults in education, um, ultimately they're using art as this essential vehicle for doing something much more profound than just making art, but really uh, helping others be the best they can be with expanding their influence outward, building relationships and making connections. Something in our pre interview preparation that came up was uh, in my asking for information about your background and uh, professional title for the introduction was that you were very passionate about being acknowledged as a a teacher and a mother. And so it's clear that nurturing and relationships are, are a core value in your life. And that informs every part of your practice and, and ambitions. Very much so. I have a young son, Jonah, um, he's 11 now, and it's it's really remarkable because when you have a child, you start to see the world through their eyes, and in some ways, the freshness of what's already been out there and never disappeared returns to us. And for teachers who maybe don't have children, but have children in their classrooms, the same might be true. As adults, we travel through our lives and gather a lot of experiential wisdom and knowledge, But when you're surrounded by young people and realize that they see things differently in ways that are so magical, that if we pay attention to them, we start to see the world differently too. And so for me, uh, as a parent, the practice of my making changed profoundly with the birth of my child because 
he and I have been hand in hand kind of embarking on this journey of making and noticing and looking. So if there's a big idea that guides my life right now, I would say that it's this concept of noticing. If we slow down to notice what's around us intentionally, and Jonah is a classic noticer, and he kind of forced me to slow down and and look more carefully. And that changed both how I teach and how I make art. So he's been my muse-like sidekick for 11 years now. Would you say that the slowing down and noticing has been the greatest lesson that you've learned from him or? What I, what I noticed my child doing, I noticed my child noticing. <laughs> that sounds kind of funny to say, but I would find myself someplace with him, outdoors, at the playground, in a park, in a mall. And my mind, I realized, was often thinking about next day's lesson or what to make for dinner or due dates that I had and, you know, mundane kind of everyday adult stuff. Um, And I realized that my child was really gifted at just being present to the moment. And he would latch onto things, particularly nature. And this presentation workshop that I will be leading really has at its core this idea that nature is there and it's grand and beautiful. And I think you can ask anyone in the world who's stood at the Grand Canyon or in front of the ocean or someplace beautiful outdoors in nature, and they feel something that is really indescribable, but palpable. And there is a power in that that is easily tuned out. I would say. And what Jonah did for me was he tuned me back into that. And so there are all these tiny beauties every moment of the day, whether I'm in the city or in the mountains, in my backyard, on the sidewalk. He started noticing things and collecting things, picking things up and asking questions about them. And I started to pay more attention. So my practice changed to be A, more collaborative because I felt like he was my collaborative partner. And then B, more spontaneous So my prior work was much more product focused and more planned step by step. So I kind of knew what the outcome would be. And um, more recently, my current work is very much moment and process oriented. And so the outcome or the visual outcome of what's being created is fundamentally different. Let's talk a little bit more about your workshop since this is a natural segue into a teaser on cultivating creativity and contemplation. So nature plays a role in it. Give us a little overview of of what people will be experiencing in your Embrace workshop. Sure. So for the past five, six years, I've been doing a lot of workshops that sort of incorporate nature with mindfulness, and they've been for a variety of different ages. Um, And the idea is that all humans, not necessarily just artists, but humans, have a natural desire and capacity to connect with the natural world. And the raw materials for that are abundant anywhere around us. And so... The idea is that you can take what's already there, gather some of that as your raw materials, and that the inspiration for making really already resides in ourselves and in the materials that are really readily available. So teachers, artists, busy people might sometimes feel frustrated because it's really hard as a teacher to find time to sustain practice. And any art teacher will probably tell you that sustaining your own artistic practice is really critical to keeping strong and lively your teaching practice. They really go hand in hand. So I started thinking about, well, this day-to-day, small, sustainable daily practice, it's so doable. And so starting with children and then with some grown-ups and different age groups, I started trying out some workshops and pulling in some other art educators who had some ritualistic making process that we could talk to each other about and engage in. 
and sustain our own practice while also sustaining each other. So it involves three components. There's sort of a ritual component. For me, it's usually sitting down and writing a little bit reflectively or gathering, collecting. And then there's a making process. So you have to kind of know what your making process is going to be, whether it's drawing or arranging, building, painting, knitting. It could be any kind of making process. And then the last component is sort of this reflective process. For a lot of people, reflection might be in writing, but it could also be through verbal reflection, reflection with a partner, through speaking and conversation, um, or diagramming. So that can also look many different ways. But I found that when you take those three elements, a making process, a ritualistic framework, and a reflective process, that you end up with something really powerful. And you can do it in little chunks of time, and it's really sustainable. And it's really wonderful. It seems to resonate very well with a number of other workshops. At least two other people who I've talked to, uh, Michael Bell and Lacey Shepard, extol the virtues of journaling as a pre-artistic making practice. Sometimes the act of engaging in the writing or reflection itself, or the act of engaging with the material itself, whether it's rocks or paint, that act alone drives the making process and builds the, the momentum. So it, it is the catalyst. Because I think uh, there's an embodied knowing, our hands and our bodies, they know things that we don't always know mentally. So if we can allow our intuition and our embodied to interface and interact with the surroundings around us and maybe with our journal and just kind of let things flow Something arises that we would never have known prior to engaging in it, allowing yourself to, to enter in, in a small way, like just opening a tiny little journal and grabbing up a pen can be an entry point that catalyzes momentum. And once you've got that momentum, you know, the rest just unfolds and, and then you come away in a little tiny period of time. Um, with something really, truly beautiful. I, I want to talk about broadening out a little bit into this very important mentality for creativity and if it has been part of your own and, and your family's coping with our current situation with the pandemic. I know that for many people, this has been a time because of personal circumstances or just because of fear that this has been a time of paralysis. Have you noticed any of these mentalities coming into a way to cope with and find a way to move forward through this pandemic? I have, you know, we've all sort of been isolated in our different contexts at home. And I think people have been connecting in whatever ways they can, whether it's virtual conversations or whatever. And I, as a sort of self-professed introverted type, <laughs> I spend a lot of time thinking and writing. And I would say that the first part, I mean, we were what, five, six weeks into um, this strange kind of isolated stay-at-home place that we all are together but apart. Um, and I think I spent the beginning of it feeling like I should be really productive and I should do something, make stuff, write stuff, research stuff. And then I felt completely overwhelmed and paralyzed by the fear of what was happening in the world and spent a lot of time reading the news. Uh, and it filled me maybe with more fear. Mm -hmm. Over time, what I started to realize, as I started to make more, little by little, I started to make more, especially on the land, because I just needed to be outdoors. I started to realize that I think, in my personal opinion, the best thing that we can do for ourselves is give ourselves permission to be a little paralyzed, or to be a little depressed, or to be a little sad, and to feel the grief, even if you can't name it or wonder where it's coming from. And so I think when I got to the point where I could sort of say, hey, 
it's really hard to be productive or make stuff when there's so much uncertainty and anxiety that I can't even quite figure out why, because at the same time, I feel so grateful to be safe and healthy. Um, and so maybe the message that I will share is whatever small ways you can make, the catalyst and momentum for doing and making is going to make you feel better. It just inevitably does. At the same time, if you're not making or not being productive in the ways that you feel like you should be, then maybe give yourself permission to just be. With the state of the world right now, being kind to ourselves in whatever way that looks like, I think is the best thing that we can do. Thank you so much for sharing your own feelings and experience throughout this. I want to pivot just a little bit again to talk about family life and how your son is engaging with the arts. You say, of course, he's a classic noticer. His, his world in which to notice things has shrunk remarkably, uh, or has it expanded with with engaging through different mediums online? It's interesting because he's doing some synchronous schooling right now. And it's been sort of this lifeline of routine and order. And you're right that his world has shrunk a lot. At the same time, he's not noticing any less. And so he's in his space and he's building things and combining magnet tiles with Legos. When we're outdoors, he's putting natural materials together. So he's still very much a mess maker and creator. Um, and I think it's sustaining his spirit too. It's really wonderful that he has structure then. I, I know that for children and parents at this moment, daily structure being lacking is is one of those things that has stopped their momentum in terms of personal productivity or, or even just establishing and maintaining daily ritual. Yes. Well, thank you again so much. Your workshop, which is Cultivating Presence and Calm Through Contemplative Making, is taking place on Tuesday, May 12th from 2 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And thank you again so much for joining me, Nan. Thank you, Peter. It was great to talk with you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative.